Amen. Okay, if you want to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here in 1 Corinthians 12 tonight, we want to look, as I said, at sort of this last of a few sessions on these manifestations of the Spirit, which are given to each one for the profit of all, as Paul mentions there in verse 7, how the Spirit, verse 11 tells us, works these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And we've worked our way through this list there from verses 8 down through verse 10. This evening, we want to finish up by looking at the end of verse 10, where Paul then says, to another different kinds of tongues and to another the interpretation. Of tongues. Now, I'm going to spend the bulk of our time obviously describing uh, what this manifestation or gift of the Spirit of what we often refer to as speaking in tongues uh, is and refers to. Uh, I think interpretation of tongues is pretty much probably a self-explanatory thing. We'll make a few comments about that towards the end. But we want to particularly talk about this gift of speaking in tongues. Interesting, we don't see this manifestation of the Spirit, it seems anyway, recorded operating in the Old Testament, as we've seen some of these other gifts and manifestations in operation in the Old Testament, as well as the New. But though we don't see it recorded in the Old Testament, we do have it predicted by the Lord Jesus himself. Mark chapter 16 is where we find Jesus saying these words, listen to them closely. Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then Jesus said this, and these signs will follow those who believe, that is, believers. These signs will follow accompany believers. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them, for they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, as we talk about this particular operation of the Spirit in the lives of Christian, this issue of speaking in tongues as we refer to it, I don't think anyone in this room this evening would disagree with the fact that this one spiritual gift has probably in the church caused more separation and more polarization among Christians in their different perspectives. And obviously, as is often the case, reason for that is because there tends to be, it seems like in many things, two different extremes that people tend to gravitate towards rather than just finding a balance somewhere in the middle. And whenever we fly to extremes, whether it's in life and our ideas and convictions or our responses, or whether as well it seems in spiritual life and even in interpretation of the whole counsel of Scripture, when we begin to gravitate towards extremes, typically we begin to err off course a little bit. And it seems that because of the different uh, sort of separation and polarization over this gift in different camps that there are extremes. And I would say this, I think both of those extremes, as we see them and know them, tend to usually come from the direct result of two simple things. One being biblical ignorance. And I don't mean that in a critical way. What I mean by that simply is just a lack of scriptural understanding of what does the Bible say regarding this particular issue spiritually, theologically. And because of biblical ignorance, many times that contributes to this separation and polarization in different camps. And secondly, I think another great contributor is also what I would just refer to as accepting of just learned behaviors and just sort of embracing and adopting maybe what our church upbringing or church tradition 
has taught and handed down to us and because that's the church setting maybe that we were groomed and grew up in spiritually and that's what we were sort of taught and what was demonstrated to us we just automatically uh, just embrace that as the truth rather than searching it out for ourselves we just embraced and adopted maybe learned behaviors and things that we saw now I think the two sides rather simply could be categorized in this way one side of course in this area is what you might refer to and again please forgive me if the terms aren't perfectly accurate but I'm just trying to to set a stage here for understanding purposes I think on one side to an extreme you have what we might refer to as hyper charismatic and that being perhaps brothers and sisters in Christ who love the Lord but they tend to pursue sensationalism it tends to be a highly emotional uh, type driven uh, thing where there's the real pursuit of experience and the sensational and in that camp there tends to sometimes be I think the overemphasis of the importance of as well as even unduly promoting speaking in tongues it seems that it's almost elevated to too high of a standard in some ways even to the point where critically I have heard and even seen it said to individuals who are Christians who love the Lord uh, among that kind of a uh, camp of believers uh, if you don't speak in tongues then you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit or if you can't speak in tongues that's an indication you're still not filled with the Spirit and there's almost this indication in that mentality that those who do speak in tongues are somehow more spiritual and if you don't speak in tongues or say you can't speak in tongues well then that indicates that you're less spiritual and the ones who are doing that that's kind of categorized as spirituality and many unfortunately even use this one gift as the criterion for what they would then designate is the measuring bar for spirituality and I don't think that's unfair and quite honestly I think that completely contradicts what the Bible says when it says the fruit of the spirit is love because I don't see that very loving <laughs> that apparently you're super spiritual because you can do this and I don't and therefore here I am a Christian I love the Lord I'm telling people about Jesus I'm trying to walk in love and read my Bible and pray and then you're going to make me feel like a B-class Christian by saying to me well hey uh, you're you're just not baptized in the spirit yet because you're not speaking in tongues the way that we I, I, so I, I have a struggle with that I think it's an extreme that becomes unhealthy now on the other side of the camp of extremism I think you have and again forgive the term but maybe what we might call hyper conservatism where there's really an embracing of what is often referred to as a cessationist view the idea there being those who are alarmed or concerned over this gift and some of these spiritual manifestations described in the Bible and because of maybe what they've observed by those who operate in these gifts whether legitimately or uh, maybe even in an unbiblical way but just because of what they've seen and experienced they sort of fly to the other extreme in fear or concern and they teach that this gift as well as other supernatural gifts uh, they no longer are relevant to today they, they, they've ceased there's been a cessation of those gifts they were for one time but they have now ended and they're no longer relevant today again both camps I think tend to err into extremism they tend to fall too far to one side rather than just looking at what the scripture says again pre-learned behaviors pre-taught tradition of men yet my heart is and I hope it would be your heart as a Christian with me this evening as well is what I want to know is is sincerely what does the Bible 
as the authority have to say on these issues? Uh, specifically any issue, but what does the Bible have to say in regards to the subject of speaking in tongues? And then to respond in faith to what the revelation of Scripture is. To respond in faith to what the Bible itself as the final authority, not any church or denomination or camp or group, but what does the Bible itself say and be open then to that beautiful ministry and manifestation of the Spirit, which I believe is for today, and simply do such, hear me, within the revealed boundaries of Scripture. To be open to the ministry of the scripture uh, of the spirit, excuse me, but within the revealed boundaries that the scripture has given to us. Let us become, and maybe it's not even a term, but let us become continualists. Continualists. And by that I mean this. Believing and being open to the operations and gifts of the spirit today, but also seeing the scriptural truths that are supplied to us in God's word, which govern what spiritual gifts and operations really are and what they're not, and what are legitimate scriptural manifestations and operations of the spirit and what are not, and also how the scripture regulates how they operate authentically when indeed it is the Spirit of God at work and He is the one that is sort of working in the ways in which He is. I think Jesus gave us a clear balance when He made this statement. Remember when Jesus declared in John chapter 4, those who worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I think there's a great balance there given by Jesus. Worshiping God in spirit and in truth. We need to worship God in the realm of the Spirit. We need to be open to the realm of the Spirit. God is Spirit. And the Bible says if we want to worship God, God is spirit. We have to be open to the realm of the spirit. But at the same time, Jesus said we worship God in spirit and in truth. We worship in the realm of the spirit, but always in line with the truth. And the word of God being the truth that nothing's going to supersede what the scripture says. And that is our governing and regulating authority. Because the same spirit that works among the church wrote the word of God that's been given to the church and those two things will always find consistency in the way that they transpire. So regarding this manifestation of the spirit, verse 10 here, Paul mentions to us now, to another there can be the experience, he says, of different kinds of tongues. Now that word tongues there is implying different kinds of, we might say, language in our vernacular. The word that's used there in the, in the Greek is glossa. It's where we get our English word, should sound familiar, glossary. It's describing for us the term used and implying a language that is in existence or a language maybe at, at one time even was in existence, and, but maybe it's no longer a language anymore. There are languages that existed and have died off, but they were once legitimate languages. The point being is the Bible here is not making a reference to the tongue as a muscle as much as it's referring to the tongue in the sense of someone's language there we might say hey what is your native tongue or we might say my native tongue is Spanish or my native tongue is English this is the idea here when the Bible speaks of speaking in tongues the implication here is is a language in a sense and question to ask what is language uh, what really is language? The dictionary defines language in this way. A human behavior that involves the use of vocal sounds in meaningful and purposeful patterns to communicate thoughts and feelings to one another. We might say in our sort of reasoning that out that language is sort of an agreement or a pact 
between at least two or more people, whereby we agree and decide that certain sounds that we articulate with our mouths represent or mean certain things. So when I say the word dog, and I use the words letters D-O-G and make the sound dog, you know what I mean when I say dog, because we've agreed and accepted in advance that the sound for dog is dog. There are other languages where the word dog is, is hund or uh, isn't, uh, is pero, isn't that dog too? Any, can we check? Is that right? What is it? Pero, okay? So there you go. There's an agreement in a different language where that sound means dog. So again, language is basically an agreement, a decision that we decide specific things by at least two parties or more that certain words and sounds mean and represent certain things. So what then is the gift of tongues or spiritual languages that the body's referring to? Well, I haven't quoted many, but, but listen, this is Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. He's going home to be with the Lord. This is actually the definition he gave in one of his books called Living Waters. It's a great definition, so I figured I would share it with you. Pastor Chuck gives this definition for speaking in tongues. He says, tongues is the ability to speak fluently in an unknown native language through the agency of the Holy Spirit. It's the ability to worship, praise, and pray to God in a language that you've never studied, naturally learned, or known. Now, I want you to think about how this really is not that complex and really makes quite a bit of sense. We serve a God who wants people from every what? Nation, tribe, tongue, and kindred to worship him, an awesome, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing God. And would you agree, God must know every language. Understand, when God is up in heaven, as people are praying to him beyond ourselves, our little American selves here in our English-speaking country, there are people from every tribe, tongue, nation, continent praying to God, worshiping Jesus in all different languages and dialects all over this globe. And I guarantee you God is not up in heaven when somebody on the African continent from a tribal people is praying to him saying, oh, can you get me a translator? Which one that is? Can you get me one of those angelic translators? This, I need to interpret this guy's prayer. No, God knows every language. Would you agree? God is the giver of languages. So God, people are praying and talking to God in all different languages as if uh, God simply understands. And again, here's an interesting thought. What language are we going to speak in heaven? As we're all around the throne of God, worshiping God together as one voice, what, what, what language are we going to worship in heaven? It'd be, be interesting to, to see how that ultimately unfolds. So tongues, again, if, if you want to define what this spiritual gift or manifestation is, I think it could be defined this way. It's sort of a supernatural enabling by the Holy Spirit, like these other gifts. It's a supernatural enabling to pray to God or to praise God in a language which you had not previously known or ever studied before. A known language, but yet a language that you had not previously known or ever studied for. The idea is supernaturally being enabled by the Spirit to praise God or to pray to God, for example, in Arabic uh, or in Swahili or uh, in Egyptian or Latin. And, and it's just the Spirit of God supernaturally 
enabling us to do something that bisects our human logic and reason, and we'll talk more about this, to continue in our communication to God in the Spirit and from the Spirit. It shows, though this is indeed a supernatural gift and a manifestation of the Spirit, it really is quite a, a somewhat of a beautiful natural experience if you think about it. That this incredible God who knows all sounds, understands all languages, would grant such a thing supernaturally to help us in our communication and worship and prayer unto him. Now you may say, well, well I mean, it sure sounds like a bunch of weird gibberish to me. I mean, in fact, it's, it's kind of weird before. Maybe you've been in a meeting before when you've seen or experienced someone speaking in tongues. Well, of course it sounds like gibberish if you're not able to interpret the language that God's giving to them to communicate to him in that setting. If I were to be honest, every time I'm out in public, if I hear a person speak in any other language, probably than English, maybe Spanish second, because I had three years of that and still couldn't even remember certain words. <laughs> when I hear people speak in any other language other than English, it usually sounds very odd to me. And typically, if I'm in a foreign country, I have been before, or hear people even in the United States communicating in their native tongue, it sounds to me like they're just using a bunch of odd, weird noises. And I, and I contend in my own human logic, how can that possibly mean something? I mean, it just sounds like a bunch of strange noises. I mean, but the reality is, is what? That's totally legitimate. Those bizarre sounds are actually legitimate communication because it's a legitimate language. It's what? It's just outside my understanding. It just supersedes my own logic because I don't know that language. I've never studied it. I've never learned it before. So the Holy Spirit's gift for a person to be able to speak in tongues, listen to me, is going to be very challenging mentally. It isn't, this gift is an affront to the human intellect. It will confront our pride and our humanity because our natural minds would rebel against the idea of what? Uttering sounds that we don't understand. So our natural minds, that, that's bizarre. <laughs> that's a little weird. And, and so it is an affront to our intellect. It truly takes a measure of humility and a measure of faith in what the Word of God says to be open to us or to anyone else operating in this gift. But listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. He declares this. He says, Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of the language of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and he's a foreigner to me. He says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14. For if I pray in a tongue... My spirit prays, but my understanding mentally is unfruitful. Another translation renders that same verse. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit, my inward man prays, but I don't understand what I'm saying. See, this is what the Bible is communicating to us. For starters, if we are ever going to be open to this gift, operating in our life personally, we're operating amongst us with others. We need to resolve by faith and humility to let our intellect be insulted, to let our intellect be challenged, to realize that we're not fully going to grasp and understand, but yet the value of our spirit being edified and trusting that God's described such is important and critical. Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. He says, what is the conclusion then? Listen to what Paul says. I will pray with the spirit. And I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. Notice the word will in there. I will pray in the Spirit. 
And I also at times will pray fluently with my understanding and in my native tongue. And he says, and I will sing, I will worship, I will sing in the spirit at times. And I also will sing with my understanding, logical, understandable words that I know from my native tongue and in my mind. Now let's look at a a biblical example of this. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. This is the first occasion we see this happening in the Bible. So we'll look at this one example here from the book of Acts. Of course, it shows up many times, but... Let's look at Acts chapter 2 and and kind of just review this briefly together. And again, keep in mind, this is the first uh, occasion that we see the gift of tongues operating in the early church. Of course, many of us know Acts chapter 2 is the occasion at Pentecost when what we say happened is the church, in essence, was sort of officially born when the, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, uh, descending upon the early Christians and the Spirit of God was poured out. And in that setting, one of the uh, things that transpired when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost is they spoke in tongues. And we have it recorded here the first time. L- look with me in verse 4. We'll just pick up there and glance through part of this. Verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, Notice, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's our word again. They began to speak with other glossa in other languages and indicating there, verse 4, that these Jewish Christians who had gotten saved and when here they were filled with the Holy Spirit and the Spirit came upon them, these Jewish Christians began to speak in known, we're going to see, known foreign languages outside of their own Hebrew and Aramaic tongue that they did not speak normally. And and notice verse 4 as well, important, how they had the ability to do this. Do you see what it says, verse 4 there? It says they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It was by a supernatural enablement from God who knows all language that helped them to speak in such ways and have supernatural utterance and communication. Verse 5 says, And there were dwelling there in Jerusalem when this happened, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So there was a representative of many different nations when this took place, this event. Verse 6, And when this sound occurred... The multitude came together and were a bit confused. This was something new. But Jesus said they will speak with new tongues. So this was a new thing. Because everyone, look what it says, heard them speak in his own language. So again, they heard these Jews from Galilee, which many were just common fishermen. All of a sudden they heard these men as they were filled with the Spirit, beginning to speak in their own national languages, these representatives from all other nations on the earth. Now, here the word language that's used, interesting, the Greek term there is dialectos, where we get our English word dialect. Now, this is even interesting. Dialect is sort of that regional variety of a language that's distinguished from other varieties of the same language just because of maybe a particular pronunciation variation or maybe a little bit of different grammar and vocabulary. For example, in any language, there can be different dialects of a particular language. So a people group can speak a language and then there could be three, four, five different dialects in different regions of the same language. So even more variation. So not only do we have hundreds of languages, but we, even among languages, have dialects in different regions geographically. Uh, We even speak at times about other variations, things like accents. Uh, Sometimes we have variations in just little 
uh, you know, phrases that people use in, uh, in York, Pennsylvania, where we used to pastor the Calvary Chapel there. One of the real distinguishing things was real obvious when we first got there. And then, of course, we raised our, our children there. Uh, and, and we found them saying it as a result of being raised in that area. They say, for example, uh, the dishes need done. They don't say to be. The word to be does not fit in any sentence when you want to say something needs to be taken care of. So they say, what needs done? This needs done. They don't say to be. It's just sort of a, a regional thing. It's the, it's the way that they communicate. So we have all these little variations. And the implication here in Acts 2 is not only do they hear them speaking in their specific national language, this is what's phenomenal, but these people from other nations even heard the variations, the dialectos, of the different communications that were going on. Look at verse 7. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are they not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya joining Cyprus, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, quite a list. And we, look what verse 11 says, hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So notice three times, verse 6, 8, and 11, this national assembly said they heard these Jewish Christians, when the Spirit came upon them, speaking in their own languages. And they listened as they heard it. Hey, wait, what is... How, they're speaking Arabic. They're speaking Persian. How are they doing this? And, and, and they heard their own languages being declared by these Galilean Jewish men with proper grammar and pronunciation and they're hearing actual languages. Look at verse 11. Don't miss this. What did they hear, however? It says, we hear them speaking what? The wonderful works of God. Now that tells us what they heard when they were speaking in tongues. What they heard was them declaring praise and worship about and to God. They heard them declaring the wonderful works of God, giving God praise, expressing thanksgiving. We see the same thing mentioned again in Acts chapter 10, where there the Holy Spirit was poured out on a group of Christians, and it says this, when that happened, they heard them speaking with tongues and magnifying God. Again, when they were speaking in tongues in Acts 10, the result was they were magnifying God. They were praising God. It was communication directed towards God in praise and thanksgiving and worship. Now come with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And let's look at a few things here from the 14th chapter. I mentioned last week this chapter in regards to prophecy as well because it's a great chapter that gives to us uh, some really great instruction in a more thorough sense about prophecy and speaking in tongues and even some of the principles governing and regulating these things amidst public meetings. But I want to make two other points here as we look at speaking in tongues and I hope to answer the question, what is the purpose of this gift? As we've talked about with some of the other ones, look in verses 1 through 4, just read them together with me. He says, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love. Again, that is always the first pursuit in spiritual gifts, that our heart is motivated by love. Not that we want to look spiritual, not that we want to be impressive, 
but that we want to impart something helpful as the Spirit of God uses us, not draw attention to ourselves, but deposit something helpful to assist another Christian. Again, to edify others for their profit. So pursue love, he says, and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. We talked about prophecy last week. He who speaks in a tongue, verse 4, notice, edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So take note here of two things, at least in verses 2 and 4. The Bible specifically tells us are part of the purpose for this gift of speaking in tongues. The first one simply is this, it's very evident there, is that the gift of speaking in tongues helps us in our communication to God. It helps us in our communication to God. It assists us in our prayer life. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the gift of speaking in tongues in regards to saying it's someone's prayer language. It's the, it's the language that God's given to them to help them communicate in prayer and their utterances unto God in a deeper level from their spirit. So it assists us in our prayer life. It helps us to worship and praise God. Again, look at verse 2. He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men. It's not a message from God to people. That's what prophecy is. He who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to men, but they're speaking, notice, the direction to God. Now, that's very important. Remember some of our examples from Acts 2 and chapter 10? They heard them declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, when they heard them in their own languages praying in tongues, they did not hear those Galilean Jews declaring commands from God to all the other people in the nation. They heard them praising and worshiping God in their own native languages. In Acts chapter 10, again, they weren't giving messages from God. It said they heard them magnifying God, worshiping and praising God. They were declaring praises and adorations and worship of how awesome God is. They were not, were not, please look at the Bible says, not what tradition or, or churches have taught, the Bible says they were not giving messages of instruction through speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, when it is legitimately taking place, is not God conveying a message through someone speaking in tongues to people. That is what verse 3 describes prophecy is. The Bible is very clear. Tongues is always communication to God, not communication from God. You can't miss the evidence of that. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 16 and 17 reiterates again in verse 16 and 17 that the person speaking in tongues is blessing God. They're thanking God. So please mark in your heart and mind and in your Bible, speaking in tongues is speech directed upward. It's speech towards God. He says in verse 2, as clear as a bell, he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but they're speaking to God. When someone is having an utterance in tongues, they're actually communicating to God in prayer, in praise, expressing thanksgiving. That's important to understand this as it comes to interpretation. And we'll talk about this. So when someone gives a supposed interpretation, if someone has just prayed in tongues, the interpretation should not be a message from God to people a message of instruction or direct. No, God does that simply through prophecy. 
a true interpretation of someone having just spoken or prayed in tongues would be communication that they are making towards God. It may sound something like a psalm. You know, oh, oh, how great and wonderful the Lord is or the Lord most. It would sound like praise. It would sound like prayer because it's communication going towards God. The second reason or purpose the Bible shows us here for speaking in tongues is for personal edification for the individual Christian. It is for help in our communication to God, number one. And then in verse four, we see it's for personal edification of the believer he says in verse 4 he who speaks in a tongue take note there edifies himself he who prophesies edifies the church take note of this this is the only spiritual gift and manifestation that is for personal benefit all the other gifts prophecy word of wisdom word of knowledge discerning of spirits all the other gifts are for the profit of all they're all for edifying the rest of the church this is one unique gift that God gives for self-edification to refresh and for the believer to be edified in their own spirit. Isn't it interesting? But yet it's the one gift that people like to tout and demonstrate and, and make themselves look so spiritual. And it's the, it's the one, in a sense, you understand my term, selfish gift. <laughs> it's a gift from God. It's something he's, but it's the one gift. It's, it's not really for the edification of other people. It's for the edification of ourself. So, he tells us here, it is a personal edifying experience. It's a gift that brings refreshment and rest spiritually when it's operated in. At times, if I don't know how to pray, and I've been there before, and I just, I don't know, it's a hard situation, or I'm confused, and I just don't know what the will of God is, and you come to that impasse. When you just don't know how to pray according to the will of God, and your understanding is limited, or you can't frame or find the words. Well, this is a way whereby God has given supernaturally an ability for the spirit of a person to continue in communication with God who is spirit in a way that bisects their human understanding so they're not limited by their logic. And you're not hindered by your own words being framed. Times maybe have you ever been, I know I've been since a Christian, where you are just so enthralled with the greatness of God or his love or his presence when you're worshiping the Lord or singing in a meeting or or and or just in your own you know private devotion and you are just so overwhelmed that words just aren't even sufficient and you want to express to God how great you think he is and how much you love him and adore him and yet you feel like just they're, they're, the words don't work anymore that the words of your own language are just insufficient they fall short well Here's where the gift of speaking tongues assists us in our praise and worship when words and language can't adequately express what we want to say to God. So it helps us to continue in our prayer and to worship the Lord and our mind doesn't interfere with our communication with God. And when you begin to speak in tongues or sing in tongues or pray in tongues, it's a very edifying experience. Because the spirit is edified and God gives it in a way whereby you're not limited in your communication and you can continue to articulate to God your heart in prayer or pray in the spirit or begin to worship and thank God in the spirit. And there's something very refreshing, extremely edifying that happens where your spirit is lifted as this gift is manifested in your life as a Christian in a free and wonderful way. So the gift of tongues, it helps me continue in my communication to God when my intellect and my own words and natural language are no longer sufficient and the result is it is a very personally edifying experience. Now again, this 14th chapter, as I said, as a whole, gives us instruction from the Spirit 
who also manifests these gifts, let's remember, the Spirit of God inspired the 14th chapter of the Word of God to give us regulations governing the public usage and exercise of these spiritual gifts, speaking in tongues and prophecy specifically, mainly described, and how they are to operate in a public worship meeting. And it gives to us governing truths and, and regulations and principles. Now, having studied the chapter as a whole and my own personal conviction, and, and you are free to disagree, but I can tell you this is where I stand theologically and where we stand as a, as, as a church, that I personally believe that the, hear my terms, most appropriate usage, the most fruitful, valuable usage of speaking in tongues is it being exercised in the believer's personal worship and devotional life. Not necessarily monopolizing the corporate worship meeting. Now, are there times in a prayer gathering when you have a group of mature Christians and, and strong believers that are together and you're having a time of just worship and waiting on the Lord in a prayer meeting? And Are there occasions? Absolutely, absolutely. But I believe the primary usage, and if you just read the 14th chapter as it speaks in face value what Paul's saying there, it seems that the Bible is clearly emphasizing the primary, most fruitful usage of speaking in tongues is in the private personal devotional life as you're praying in the Spirit and worshiping in the Spirit, not in such a way where it said it monopolizes and becomes the focal point of when the church corporately gathers and you have people of all different representations, strong Christians, Christians of all different convictions, Christians who are brand new Christians who never even heard of speaking in tongues. I remember years ago when I was teaching on the gift of tongues when we were pastoring in York, and Carly, my youngest daughter, who was uh, the clown in the family anyway, she was rather young at the time. She said, Dad, what are you teaching on uh, at church? And I said, oh, I'm teaching on, on the gift of, of speaking in tongues. And she said, oh, that's going to be fun. I like tongues. <laughs> you know, and, she, and, and for a brand new Christian, they're like, tongues? What, what are you doing? What, what's tongues? You know, what, I, I've just accepted Jesus. What is this tongue stuff? What are we going to talk about? So, again... In a corporate meeting, we have representation. We got unbelievers there, and again, this is a self-edifying gift for the believer, who at times wants to, in the deep recesses of their spirit, continue praying to God over some issue, or continue in worship and communication to God, and their intellect is is holding them back. So. Again, I believe the most appropriate place is in that private devotional life of the believer. Now, again, back in 1 Corinthians 12, the end of verse 10, we also saw, as I said, the reference to another, the interpretation of tongues. And it should be pretty self-explanatory what the interpretation of tongues would therefore be. Uh, the word just literally means that you use there an interpretation of a language. In verse, uh, or excuse me, chapter 14, you find this term interpretation or interpret showing up a few different times in the 14th chapter. And there it's the Greek word uh, dermunio. It's a compound word that Paul uses there. And it's, it's two terms. One means to serve as a channel and the other means to communicate or interpret what's spoken. So that tells us what interpretation of tongues would be. It is, again a supernatural enablement by the Spirit to give the interpretation or a clear explanation or interpretation as a channel of what the person who was speaking in tongues or the individual themselves praying in tongues actually was saying in their communication unto God. Interesting. We have no recorded 
instances of interpretation of tongues happening in the New Testament, but we do have it referenced in its operation in 1 Corinthians 14. And what's the primary purpose of the gift of interpretation? Well, the Bible says it's for the edification of other believers who may be in the midst of a meeting where somebody may pray out publicly in tongues. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul describes it so that people can agree in their heart and be encouraged if it does happen in a public setting. Look what he says there in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 14. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied, for he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless, notice, he interprets that the church may receive edification. Look at me over in verse 11. Just, just read through some of these verses and hear what Paul's saying. Verse 11, he says, Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. Why? For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What's the conclusion? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. Now watch as he goes on, verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the unformed say amen at your giving of thanks to God since he doesn't understand what you're saying? So Paul says, if you're together in a meeting and somebody begins to pray in tongues or to worship God in tongues, it's typically, most commonly, going to be difficult for the other people in the, in the meeting with you to kind of agree and say, amen, my heart, to, to be edified and built up by your giving of thanks and worship of God because to them, it's like the person standing in the supermarket next to two people who are speaking in fluent Polish and they have no clue what they're saying. So they can't join in, they can't be encouraged or build up by it. So Paul says, at times an interpretation helps so that a person can then understand, oh, that's, oh, amen, yeah, God is great, God is good, and, and you can agree like we amen each other in language prayers in our understanding. Look what Paul says, verse 17, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. Why? Because they don't understand. Verse 18, I thank my God, Paul says, I speak with tongues more than you all. Verse 19, I have this circled, yet in the church. See what Paul says? Paul says, look, I'm not downplaying tongues. Paul says, I, I speak in tongues in Corinthians church there. They were enamored with the gift of tongues. They were over enamored with it. And Paul says, look, I'm not trying to be a killjoy on the manifestations of the Spirit or speaking in tongues. Paul says, I, I, I pray in tongues. I sing in tongues. I say, I pray in tongues more than all of you, truth be told. But he says, look at verse 19, yet in the church, when I'm together with my fellow brothers and sisters for a corporate church service, I would rather speak five words with my understanding, five clear words that you do understand, that I may teach others also than speak 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul says, when I come together, he says, if I had the option when I'm with the church, yes, I pray in tongues, I sing in tongues, but when I have the opportunity to say or share something or exercise the manifestation of the Spirit, he says, I would rather have five words that are clear that may be a prophetic word to help you, to comfort you, to encourage, to strengthen someone than to stand there for 10 minutes 
and pray 10,000 words in my prayer language and everyone go, um, okay, this is... I wonder when he's going to be done. I have no idea what's going on and what he's saying there, but you know, I hope he's enjoying talking. To, and so, again, we see the Bible laying these things out. You know, let me share a few thoughts with you before we conclude that, that kind of challenge, I think, some wrong ideas that are proposed and, and propagated at times in the church. First of all, speaking in tongues, I do not think biblically is the primary indication that someone is filled or been baptized with the Holy Spirit. You can come to your own conviction, but I do not think that that is the primary indication. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And I know some people who legitimately pray in tongues and they are the most unloving, critical people I know. And they need to be baptized in the Spirit. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I think we need to be careful to embrace that mentality. I don't think speaking in tongues is an indication that someone is now more spiritual than someone else. I don't think that speaking in tongues should be the focal point, again, of a public worship gathering. Again, when it comes to these manifestations of the Spirit, let's remember some key things we've talked about. First of all, love. So the 13th chapter, interesting, right in the middle of chapter 12 and chapter 14 is the chapter all about love, where Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy, obnoxious, clanging gong. And I profit and help no one. So love is the uppermost to want to help and edify people. Lord, we want to be open to the manifestations, to the operation of your Holy Spirit. Not that we can seem impressive, but Lord, if you want to use us to impart something helpful, to serve someone, to speak into their life, to comfort, Lord, that's what matters. For love's sake, we want to edify. And again, the remainder of the 14th chapter clearly, clearly, clearly drives home this point, which is this. When the Spirit of God is operating in the midst of the church, it will always be orderly. It will always be orderly. It will not be awkward. It will not be weird. It will not be something that's intimidating or makes people feel uneasy. There will not be people behaving as if they're out of control or disorderly. You know, oh, I couldn't help it. The, the Spirit just came over me. And, and the Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot of stuff. You know, Paul emphasizes very strongly from verse 26 through the remainder of the chapter in 1 Corinthians 14 that God is not the author of confusion. That things should be done decently and in order. And he says, even when these gifts are operating, he says, you know, let one person speak and then let another person speak. You know, just again, that there's a very orderly, and he says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. You know, and I've been with people before, and in me is with, hey man, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. No, I'm not. I'm quenching your human spirit. Because we want genuinely the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible is very clear what it's like when the Holy Spirit is in operation. And I understand there's, you know, we're, we're learned, we're like a bunch of little kids, but listen, let's not throw the baby out with bathwater. Let's realize these are beautiful, wonderful, helpful things. The Bible says, don't forbid speaking in tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. Typically, again, we fly to extremes. Either some Christians just let all things be done. Whatever goes. Hey, just call it all the Holy Spirit. You can, we just let all things be done. And then other people are so concerned about being decent and in order, because if we don't keep decency and order and rigidness, people might get crazy. They might do something weird. Listen, they might do something weird. Don't kids do weird things? All that matters, we have a copy of the Word of God. 
We have the spirit of truth within us. And if our hearts are genuinely love, eh. So somebody did something. It was a little odd. So we, eh, that probably wasn't the Lord. Let's sing another song. You know, just, just, we have the word of God. We can address things if we need to. The Bible gives us such beautiful, beautiful experience with God as we open ourselves up to it. Let's stay.